This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Resource Center. This is Audrey Raj. On the show today, we're going to be speaking with the CEO of event tech provider Global Sign In and virtual events platform Give Me, Vimal Gangadin, about, well, you guessed it, virtual events. Now, while some parts of the world have started to open up to concerts, exhibitions, and all the live events that we've missed over the course of this pandemic, analysts say virtual events are only set to grow bigger and badder over the next decade. Uh, but according to Allied Market Research, the global virtual events industry, which was estimated at $57 billion in the year 2019, should be worth more than $700 billion by the year 2028. And that's just six plus years away. So if you and your business have been hesitant about creating your own virtual event, you need to shed that and get with it. And Vimal is here to talk to us about how simple it could be to create, host and go all the way with a virtual event. Vimal, welcome to Resource Centre. Happy to be here. So, um, Vimal, why won't we go back to the way things were, you know, doing all our events in person when this pandemic is over? Why why are virtual events here to stay? Well, the, the thing is, uh, virtual events were already here. It's now being uh, put at the, in the limelight, especially with what's happening with regards to COVID. But there was a trend that was already here. Like Zoom was already a public company even before COVID. Uh, webinar platforms were already here. Lots of companies uh, reaching out to their prospects uh, were already doing webinars. Now, granted, the experience of those were not really good. What happened when uh, COVID struck and pretty much the whole world was under lockdown, events were pretty much banned, gathering of people banned. There was no choice but to allow the people to continue connecting in the space of events that took the form of virtual, virtual, which is what we call virtual events. Some people call it digital events. So the pandemic just uh, accelerated the adoption of that. I remember back in 2020, February, lots of industry veterans, people very much uh, uh, familiar with decades of experience in the B2B marketing. They were like, uh, you know what, this whole thing about virtual events, uh, I don't believe in that. And these same people are running virtual events tons right now for themselves or for their clients. It was a matter of no choice. It's probably still a matter of no choice. What ended up happening because of this is number one is people joining in uh, virtual events started getting a little bit more comfortable. I guess these days we probably all have Zoom installed on our phone, right? And whatever other other such tools, right? So we've been educated, starting from our kids doing their classes online, all the way to our parents, grandparents that we are meeting up online these days. So we have all, in a way, been forcibly trained and at the same time what has happened is there have been this explosion of new tools of new uh, software better experiences that have been created in the space of uh, virtual events so much so 
that today, based on some survey, uh, in fact, there's a company called Explory. So they measure uh, like the satisfaction scores of events. They used to do it for uh, physical events. So now, obviously, they're doing that for virtual events. And they measure the satisfaction scores of uh, physical events and virtual events. Today, guess what? The score is pretty much the same for both, right? So that means people are, are, are feeling a little bit better. Businesses are starting to find value, like, for example, reaching out, doing a small event of 50 prospects, right, or 100 prospects. It's much, much cheaper for a small business these days to organize such a uh, marketing event virtually than to uh, do that physically. And I think we are all seeing that, all the stakeholders on the consumer side, the attendees, on the business side, right? Uh, and that's why it's a trend that is here to stay. And again, so much so that venues are now seeing that rather than fighting that as a trend, because what will happen is, you see, in person, like us meeting up face-to-face, nothing will probably ever beat that, right? We all crave for that. We all have been working from home, and we know how painful it gets after a while, right? So we crave that human attention. So that ain't going away. But what will not change is that digital component now. I think, like, for example, in the space of conferences or even concerts, right, Uh, rather than just doing it physically, there will be a digital component to that. And that we call that hybrid. And venues are now adopting that. Hotels, convention centers are adopting technology to make it such that there is now a physical component of an event, but also a virtual component of an event. And Mm. uh, that's why I think virtual ain't going away. Now, you just mentioned concerts uh, and exhibitions, but um, what kind of virtual events have you seen created over the course of this pandemic, the ones that surprised you and, and made you think, you know, this is the future? Because I've only done the, the casual webinars and the press conferences virtually. My life is boring like that. But I'm sure you have seen some pretty amazing events being held virtually. So maybe you can share. So it ranged from the small events to the very big events. So for me, one of the things that I was very surprised with uh, was workshops. So workshops, small workshops of like 20 people, right? So 20 people, brainstorming sessions. uh, And the idea is that, hey, it's probably best for everybody to be in the same room. You have whiteboarding. You can do that whole thing. But I've been through some design thinking workshops that was conducted virtually. Right, and then using collaborative tools like there's some uh, called uh, Mural or Miro, quite a fit, uh, quite a bit of these tools where everybody can jump on 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 the same page, put sticky notes, virtual sticky notes. Guess what? It works great. You can now bring in a team across different countries to do such brainstorming. That group of around 20 people uh, where we met for the workshop. Uh, for obvious reasons, because couldn't allow to travel and whatnot. Uh, around three months later, we, we pretty much the, the same team met uh, physically. You know, the surprising thing was we, we all found that the virtual experience was better. 
because when you're putting the sticky notes on the plain whiteboard, it's dropping. And then you're like, oh, okay, uh, undoing, <laughs> copy pasting. You can't do these things, right? Yeah. So, so that was surprising to me because I was looking forward like to all meet up physically. Obviously, after the workshop was done uh, physically, we all went out, had a beer. So, so that was great. And I guess that's the value of the, of the in-person, right? But I think there are such uh, what I would call transactional uh, events where, uh, and gatherings where virtual is probably best suited. And, and that was a, uh, a small example. A much larger scale was, uh, was uh, during uh, SWITCH, uh, Singapore Week of uh, International Technology and Innovation. So that happened December uh, last year together with the FinTech Festival, Singapore FinTech Festival, around 60,000 people joining in online. So it became the one place where you could find uh, people from pretty much all over the world, right? Without the need to travel, uh, you're able to connect with people. uh, And you know what? Conduct business. Uh, Some would argue that, hey, uh, if we would have met up all physically, uh, that would have been uh, better. I think so, but I think there's a there's there's a value to that. Like for example, I think there were hundreds of speakers who joined that event. It's impossible for you to like watch all of these uh, at the same time uh, on a on a two day three day event, right? This in this case it was a week long uh, of events running twenty four hours per day. By the way, so that was that was quite awesome. And then all of the content after the event still remain alive. It's not as if after the event, uh, the content are gone. So the content remains available on demand. And you know what? You can catch up on these things. So I think these two examples were pretty cool. Now, you know, you mentioned creating value for uh, attendees, for event um, participants, right? But what about creating value for speakers and for sponsors? How do virtual events do that? Right. It's a bit tricky. I've been meeting with speakers uh, who have embraced this change uh, and some who are really struggling. As a speaker, as a professional speaker, you get paid to speak. Mm. You get uh, paid to travel, right? So it's a pretty cool lifestyle if you look at it, right? So, it is. Uh, you get paid <laughs> to, 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 to hop around uh, across cities, across countries. And now suddenly... It's like uh, you do your speaking engagement if it's virtual from home, right? And because it's it's from home, uh, some of them are finding it challenge to to command the same type of price. That's one thing. Uh, the next thing is uh, uh, if you're doing a a, a speaking uh, gig to hundred people as opposed to one thousand people or ten thousand people the price would be different depending on the place that you're going to. But when you're sitting behind your laptop, whether you're talking to 10 people or 1,000 people, 100,000 people, so people tend to think like, hey, the price should be the same. So that's one of the challenges they're facing, right? Uh, but at the same time, some speakers are embracing the opportunity to find wider audience because now suddenly uh, you, you are able to reach out to a global audience, uh, pretty much. Like if I look at our own case, we started during the pandemic last year in 2020, started running our own events. 
to uh, to ev- evangelize a little bit about what we're doing, uh, to talk about the new trends. During the first edition of our uh, virtual event itself, uh, without much marketing, I should say, we had around uh, uh, over 1,000 people who joined, so around 1,002, if I'm not wrong, and joining in from uh, over 20 countries, right? So were we to attempt to do the same thing, uh, that would have been uh, much more difficult. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that's hindering the business community from jumping on the virtual events bandwagon. What would their hesitation be? So I think it's the mindset. And that's a bit of a pity, right? Uh, at the beginning uh, of uh, last year, most, if not all of us, were trying to play the crystal ball game. Mm. It's like we were trying to figure out, hey, when would this end? Some oh, of us still are, uh, Bimal. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. Some of us are still are, right? And, and, and the thing is, it's a bit sad because when last year we realized, hey, it ain't going to end by Q3, it ain't going to end by Q4, and now it's Q1, and now suddenly we're already in Q2, and then, no, it's going to be end of 2021 or 2020. I mean, we don't need to do that, right? So, so the best thing is probably to adapt. So that's the change of my, uh, the mindset. So I know lots of businesses, uh, lots of companies who are just uh, playing the wait and uh, see game. But there's no harm trying. I mean, maybe the world is going to come back to its old self. Maybe, right? Or maybe not. But why would you not like try out like uh, some new tools, some new ways of doing things, and then complement that with what you already uh, with what you already know? Is it the perception of the cost involved? Is that another factor? I think it's the fear. Uh, it's the fear of things uh, that will not work out. Uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, I'm not very good with technology, so let me not try that. So let me see uh, lots and lots of cases uh, before I will, I will adopt it. Now, that's very typical in the technology adoption lifecycle itself, right? Uh, you will have some laggards, and then you will have some innovators who will just uh, jump on board right at the beginning. It's a natural curve, actually, right? But I would say uh, at this point, it's like knowing where we are at and then looking at the future and then looking at tools, looking at proven cases where small businesses have been able to uh, to, to blossom uh, to grow in these challenging times, by the way, right? So that is still happening. Unfortunately, there are some in some cases where things are are going bad, right? So, but like within the events industry itself, I know lots of companies who, who have folded, lots of people who are probably still out of work right now, right? So now that's very sad. But at the same time, we probably need to look at the opportunities that are there within the industry. Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break for some messages right now. But when we come back, we speak with uh, Vimal about GiveMe's virtual event builder solution, as well as how event organizers can maximize value from these virtual events. All that and more coming up on Resource Center. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Brand Friendly Marketeers. BFM 89.9. 
You are listening to Resource Center. This is Audrey Raj. Online with me right now is Vimal Kungadin, the CEO of Event Tech Provider Global Sign In, as well as virtual events platform Give Me. Uh, and we are discussing the new frontier virtual events. Now, um, before the break, Vimal, you mentioned tools to create these virtual uh, events. Now, I understand that you guys recently launched your own virtual event builder solution, uh, which will allow anyone to create and customize their own professional quality 2D and 3D virtual events. Uh, And also, this is, you know, doesn't even matter if you have any coding expertise. So, Maybe you can talk to us about this platform, how it works, and how it's effectively lowering the barrier to entry to virtual events. So one of the insights that we had was, uh, number one, like I shared, virtual events are here to stay, right? Uh, And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when uh, there were lots of traction, so lots of us, then uh, we just hopped on to tools that were already existing, the most popular one being Zoom. And then people started uh, running events on search tools, right? Uh, those are great. They work, but you can't really customize them. When you go to an event, like Zoom in itself is really a meeting tool. It's wonderful like to do a group meeting, uh, a one-on-one meeting. Uh, it's very functional, uh, pretty much al- almost always works, and that's great. But if you look at the concept of an event, you go there for an experience. You go there and you probably want to do, uh, if it's a conference, not just to listen to some talks, but you probably want to have some element of funds as well. You probably want to catch up with some people, go to a lounge, play some games. That's what happens in the the real world. Why not happen in the so-called virtual world as well, right? And that's what has been really missing. So lots of people obviously built such things uh, and invested money to build such, uh, I would say, customized uh, virtual experiences. Number one, it costs a lot to build these. Uh, And then virtual events, that's both a challenge, but at the same time an opportunity is that it can scale very big. Like suddenly there's nobody on the platform and then straight away you have 1,000 people who logged in or 10,000 people who've logged in. So the the platform needs to be able to scale for such things. So that was the insight that we had was that people need to have something, a platform that is uh, uh, relatively cheap to get started and at the same time super customizable. And that's where then we built a new version of our platform, uh, which we call Give Me Virtual Event Builder. There's two components to it, really. Number one is anybody without any... Uh, any uh, coding skill, you can come to the platform and you can pick and choose a venue. It's just like if you were to do a seminar or a conference or an exhibition, you would pick and choose the hotel, the ballroom, or the or the convention center that you want to run the event uh, into. So why not for this, uh, the same concept uh, happen uh, in the space of virtual? So we've ended up building what we call virtual venues. And a virtual venue, if you think of the term venue, that brings in mind like something which is uh, 3D. So we have those things as well where you can go in a 3D world, but we also have uh, more pragmatic experiences, which are what we call just 2D. 
which when you go to the page, uh, you see the live stream on the right hand side, the, the live chat and then some content uh, blocks. So very pragmatic. It works on desktop, it works on mobile. And then you can do that as well for very functional things like uh, a town hall meeting, right? So virtual event builder then is a platform where you can pick and choose your, your venue. And then without any coding skills, you can go inside and then you can customize it. You can change the walls. You can change the banners. You can put in your own content. If let's say you're having certain sessions, you can uh, put in your speaker decks. Whether you want to turn on chat or turn off, you can do that. Whether you want to do some polling. And then when you're doing some pollings, like getting access to all the reports, like uh, who answered what. If you have sponsors that you want to bring on board uh, the event, if that's a conference or if that's a, an exhibition, so you can give them access to that as well, where then they can basically manage their own booths. A booth can be a 3D booth in itself. And then they can upload their collaterals there. And then they can see real time, hey, who's there at the event uh, that is interested in my profile? Who can I set up meetings with? Who can I talk with? And who can I network with? Right. Now, Vimal, all this sounds amazing, especially since I'm parked at home right now and I haven't been to any <laughs> event uh, in more than a year. But what would something like this cost uh, an event organizer, you know, is this is cost going to be an issue here? Well, the thing here is we we charge on a per participant, so very much like what the hotels would have uh, would have charged, and then and and then uh, the price ranges depending obviously on on uh, the volume of people. The maximum price that we charge per participant is five dollars. So you can imagine if let's say you were doing something for hundred packs it can cost as, as cheap as $500. Yeah. Right, right, okay. And I also understand that through this platform, you give me is helping build uh, a community of virtual event creators as well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Right, so I think that's very important. So earlier we, we touched a little bit of that, like the change of mindset. But I think one thing which is very important is uh, skills and capabilities. So what we're seeing in the industry right now is that's one of the things that uh, businesses, that even professionals uh, need to acquire, need to acquire new skills and capabilities. So we thought, what's the best way of, of, of doing that? Uh, rather, uh, and, 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 and to us, that uh, took the shape of building a community, building a community of event professionals, of brands who are wanting to, uh, to, to run their own events. And then we put together different uh, content uh, that serves the purpose of uh, uh, providing inspiration and then also educational, where you can learn about new skills, like, for example, how to do live streaming in a professional way. Right, uh, how to build a virtual venue, right? How to manage speakers effectively virtually, right? How to prep them up so that you know when they are coming to speak, in terms of uh, their technology on their side, even though you don't have much control over that. But how can you how can you leverage on this to ensure uh, you're having a good speaker quality, in, both in terms of visual and sound as well. And yeah, so, so that's what we started doing. And within this community, we started also running some shows. Uh, so we started imagining like, hey, what would the next generation of virtual events be? 
I think we're in that phase right now where everybody is probably, that's why we talk about Zoom fatigue and all, right? So what's the next generation of virtual events? So we did, we, we said, we came up with 10 principles in total. We said, number one, uh, virtual events have to be unique. They have to be aesthetically pleasing. And then the list goes on. So we've defined that, like, for example, it should forge a community itself, right? So rather than uh, for businesses these days, trying to just sell to customers, the best approach would be to build a community, right, uh, around it and then around the product, around a certain thought leadership position, right? And then we've created a show that uh, where we invite speakers uh, to, to talk about these topics. Like recently, we uh, invited some speakers from uh, Amazon Web Services. Uh, there's uh, another community uh, called She Loves Data who came up on our show to, to basically share how technology these days can be leveraged on uh, in the context of events to build and forge communities. Yeah. So, uh, Vimal, you just alluded to the next generation of events. Um, so I'm uh, going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and give us some insights into the outlook for events, not only in the virtual space, but also the physical and hybrid space as well, you know, as this pandemic continues. <laughs> That's tricky. <laughs> we're all <laughs> trying to to figure this out, and uh, just when we think we are figuring it out, it just changes. But here's what's happening. You see, I would say in Asia, uh, if you look at at the early part of the pandemic, we were controlling it much better compared to what was happening in Europe, uh, in US, right? And because uh, we had a little bit of the SARS playbook. Uh, we've been through such experiences uh, in the past. And uh, already in Asia, we saw uh, hybrid events already coming up, right? And I spoke about hybrid events earlier. Uh, I, th I still think that's going to be the future. But if you look at what's happening in in US, in UK, where they have vaccinated a, a, a very large proportion of their, of their population, it's pretty much physical events that's coming back. Right? So what people were saying, hey, the good old thing will come back. I think we're, we're kind of seeing that. Now it's just a matter of like, can that continue going in very large numbers without masks? Uh, how will that work out? We don't know. I think in Asia, what I'm seeing is we're taking a little bit more of a pragmatic, uh, cautious approach to it. And I think for a long time to come, I, I just don't know how long that long time uh, might be. Uh, but there will be restrictions in terms of number of people that will be allowed in a ballroom, that will be allowed in a, in a convention center. So how do you deal with that then? So you deal with that by augmenting that physical event. You, you have more capacity. You, you give uh, better reach to your sponsors, to your exhibitors, not just through the people who are coming in physically, uh, but also who are joining in digitally. So, which is why I think uh, uh, hybrid uh, is really is really the is really the future. Uh, if you uh, you ought to ask me, like, uh, what date? I think the whole of, of of this year, this is going to be the situation, and maybe the whole of twenty twenty two at least. Yeah. Mm. Okay, Vimal. Before I let you go, uh, maybe you can share some advice on how event organizers can 
maximize value from these virtual or hybrid events since that's going to be the case at least for the for this year and uh, throughout a bit of 2022 right so how can uh, they maximize value from these hybrid and virtual events see the next thing is business models so I think as in uh, event professionals uh, we probably need to relook at uh, what are the new types of business models that we can build here right? And I think there were lots of opportunities. And it's not just a thought, but there were actually companies already doing it. And that's a good good thing with this. There are already certain case studies. Events by nature were always things that would start. There were, there's a starting time and then there is an ending time. Once the event is over, then boom, uh, that's it. As an event organizer, as a venue, as any professional, you would earn your revenue during uh, that event. So it's a project base. But now what's happening is corporates, brands, rather than running one big event, bringing all their customers, their partners and all that, they're running a series of events instead. So they're saying rather than me doing one event in a year, let me do four events each quarter. Or maybe sometimes even every two months. So I think there is a possibility, for example, to build a subscription business here. A subscription business whereby event organizers now, on top of organizing the event during the day itself or the days, the next thing is providing the platform for people to continue accessing the content of the event because that should not die. That should remain open. So you need that on a secure platform, on a, on a, uh, on a robust platform uh, that people then can still come in even after the event. And then you can still capture the information of the people who are doing that. So that's the sub- subscription model. Like This is one of the things that we're doing ourselves uh, as a platform, and we're partnering with event organizers. So we provide our platform. So this is a subscription to our own platform, but event organizers are now offering this as a service and then they provide uh, they put their own management fee on top of that and then provide that to their end customers so that's one of the new uh, of the new uh, uh, business model I, prob- I can probably just quickly share uh, another one and that's really embracing technology so today in the space of virtual events for lots of the events what's happening is Uh, brands are going directly to the virtual event platform providers like ourselves, right? So we have large customers who are coming to us and then they're asking us, hey, uh, run this event. But that's not what we we do. That's not what platforms do. Platforms, lots of companies are now taking the path of of, uh, providing this as a service and it's high margin, by the way, to their end customers. Or even, we even have uh, event professionals coming to us and then outsourcing that piece of work to us. I think event professionals should insource this. You should adopt platforms which allows you to have full control of building the experiences by yourselves with your own staff. If that means your staff needs to be uh, trained, do that. If that means you probably need to hire new people to be able to do that, do that, because that's a higher margin aspect of things. So it's really the skills and capabilities going all the way to the reimagining of the business models. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that, Vimal. Uh, and for our listeners who are keen to explore uh, the Give Me platform, uh, is there a website that they can go to? That's correct. So we pronounce it Give Me. It's spelled G-E-V-M-E dot com. So you go to giveme.com. 
Right. Thank you once again, Vimal, for taking the time to speak with us. I've been speaking with CEO of event tech provider Global Sign-In as well as virtual events platform Give Me, Vimal Gungadin. If you missed out on any part of this show, you can go look for the podcast on our website. That's bfm.my. You can also find all our podcasts on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. I'll be back again same time next week for more on Resource Center. But till then, this is Audrey Raj for Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.